like to talk with you today about the believer's heartbeat. You know, at the very core of our lives, the beating heart, right? We get that. heart is healthy, it defines what we do. If our heart has an, an anomaly or a dysfunction or is diseased, it limits what we can do. So much of our understanding of who we are as humans and what we can do comes from the condition of our heart, from our heartbeat. I want to talk to you about the believer's heartbeat, your spiritual heartbeat. During this coming year, Rob and I feel led by the Lord to commit our weekly teachings to helping you Search the scriptures to answer two questions. One is, who am I? And second is, what am I doing here? That laced into all of our teachings, kind of like a spice that's in a dish, laced into all of our teachings will be our, the result of our study the answer to those two questions. Who am I? What am I doing here? A study of who are you, your person, and your purpose. What am I doing here? All starts with your heartbeat. With your spiritual heartbeat. It begins right here. Right now. Let's pray. Lord, we invite you to come in the present power of your Holy Spirit to bring us to the place of deeper understanding of your word of and deeper embrace of your spirit. We want to be men and women and young people of the word and of the spirit. We want to be authentic believers in this present day, rising up to the challenges that we face in this present culture and living as children of the light in so much darkness. I thank you, Father, for this church. I thank you for every person who was drawn here by your hand today. And I believe it is no accident that we are in this room right now to consider the weight of these scriptures on our lives and to consider this concept of our spiritual heartbeats. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come now and speak to us. By your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to continue this morning in our Through the Bible series, which we've been in and out of for the last couple of years now. And this will be stop number 45 in the Through the Bible series. I know, can you believe it? 45 messages. And uh, if you do the compressing of the first and seconds and the first, second, thirds, it means that we only have 12 more to go after this. 
which means this will be the first time in my entire life I've ever completed a series that I started. So I'm pretty proud of myself there. The book of Ephesians is where we are today. That's the 10th book of the New Testament. And uh, it's an epistle. And, a, and what an epistle is, as many of you may know, is it's an epistle is a letter written by an apostle. All right? Uh, the words epistle and apostle have absolutely nothing to do with each other. But a, a, an epistle in the New Testament is a letter, a correspondence sent from an apostle, one of the big dudes of the New Testament, chosen by God to get the thing going. And um, they wrote to various people and to various churches. And so that, that really constitutes a great good bit of our, our whole New Testament. So we're in the book of Ephesians today. If you want to turn there, it's on page 1136. If you happen to have my exact Bible, otherwise you're on your own. Ephesians is in the New Testament. And uh, I'm going to do what I love to do anytime we're doing this, is we're going to start with context, right? What's the, what's the larger context? And by that, I mean, what's the bigger picture that encircles this book that would help us to understand it better by knowing what the context is? We're going to ask a few questions. First of all, who is this Paul fellow? Paul, who uh, he says in the beginning of Ephesians, he said he wrote it, Paul. Paul is an apostle. He, uh, Paul is, is, is an apostle who was called by God to a specific task. And Paul, I think a great way for us to think about him this morning is Paul was a radically changed believer. A, I mean a radically changed believer. He started out as one who was absolutely against Christianity and the things of Jesus Christ, so much so that he persecuted those who followed him and took great pride in it. Now, in a little reflection a little bit later on, turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy, for example, chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and he's kind of talking about himself here when he says in verse 13, he says, even though I was once a blasphemer, that's not good. This is his description of himself, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. So his description of himself is a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. Now if you look back at Acts uh, chapter 26 and verse 9, it's another little bit of self-disclosure here from Paul when he's reflecting back on his life before Jesus. And he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is the guy we're talking about. And then he was on the road to Damascus, and the Lord appeared to him and converted him and changed him from night to day, from lost to found, from dead to alive, from useless to having purpose in God. And I hope that goes out to some of you. Because the Bible clearly teaches us that there's no one that's beyond being saved. There's no one that's beyond the saving grace of God. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Certainly not you. You don't have a bigger story than I just read to you. And yet Paul was radically saved. So there's hope for everybody. So that's who this Paul guy is. And um, we, we need to ask, well, who are these Ephesian people, right? He wrote this book to the Ephesians meaning the believers 
who lived in the city of Ephesus. What's Ephesus, you ask? So glad you asked that question. I was going to answer it whether you did or not. Ephesus was an ancient city in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, about six miles in from the Aegean Sea. And Ephesus was a center of great commerce, but the most important thing about Ephesus that we want to take in for our understanding of the Bible is that it was a Gentile city. It was not a Jewish city. It was a Gentile city. Because if you've been reading your Bible, you discovered by now there are exactly two kinds of people in the Bible, right? There are Jews, and then there's everybody else, right? Jews are the people from the line of Abraham, and then there are Gentiles of every, every possible variety, right? So, so what I'm saying it's important to understand that Ephesus was a Gentile city. That it wasn't a Jewish city where they had a foundation in the Old Testament and you could come in and say that Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. These people didn't know anything. These people didn't know anything at all. And he was writing, he was writing to the people who were his specific mission. Because some of you have got to the part where, where, where God appoints Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles, right. So his whole mission is this, that some of the apostles were focused on persuading the Jews that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, the apostle Paul, in particular, was focused by God, called by God, mandated by God, to speak to people who didn't know anything. Gentiles, completely outside. That's an important, as we go through this this morning, that's an important thing to think about in terms of why the book of Ephesians says some of the things that he says. Third question of context is why did he write? Why? What's up? What's going on? And what's going on is that Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians from prison. Paul was in prison twice for a collective total of five to six years. And what was he imprisoned for? He was imprisoned for preaching Jesus Christ. Do you see the irony in this? Do you see the irony in this? That when we first meet this guy, he is imprisoning people for what? Preaching Jesus Christ, right? Now he is in prison for preaching Jesus Christ. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, right? There is huge irony in that, but he's in prison the only crime he committed was boldly proclaiming that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, right? Now, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the book of Philemon from prison, and so we call them the prison epistles. You see how clever we are, right? Okay, so this is, the, this is what's happening. Is Paul is writing, he's in prison, and he's writing to a church that he loves. Can you, can you put him in that space? This guy who was a radically changed person, apostle to the Gentiles, who led Gentiles to, the Christ, to Christ in huge, huge numbers, and who's established churches with them so that they could live in community and Christian community as they grew in their faith, that this guy is now in prison, and he loves these churches. He loves these people. And so he dictates some letters off for them to be received. In this case, to the Ephesians, a lot of reason to believe that these letters were passed around from church to church to church because of their general encouragement, okay? So that's what's happening. Now let's look at the high points. The high points of the book of Ephesians, I think a good way to think of it, is that this is discipleship boot camp right here. And by that I mean 
that if you were a brand new believer and didn't know anything about anything, Ephesians would be a great place that the contents of Ephesians will help you walk a strong walk in the Lord. So it's kind of a discipleship boot camp and transforming you from a person who isn't following Jesus to one who absolutely is. The high points include, uh, if you look at the first couple of chapters, an introduction to the theology of salvation. So, hey, we're saved, right? Woo-woo, that's great. Well, what does it mean? And that's what chapters 1 and 2 talk about. It talks about the theology, the explanation from God's point of view about our salvation. That we are, we are it says, catch this, that we are presented to God spotless, without blemish. We are, hello? Don't you have spots? I got spots. I got spots. And the Bible says that part of the salvation process is to purify me, cleanse me, and present me to the Father spotless and without blemish. I love Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. That's got to be one of my top 10 passages that I particularly love because it starts out by saying that you were dead in your transgressions and sins in the ways you used to live when you followed the devil. And that's the situation into which we're all born. And then in verse 4, it talks about how horrible that is in the first three verses. And then in verse 4, it says, But God... I love that. But God, inner God, right? But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, right? So there's this cool picture uh, of the difference between before you knew Jesus as your Savior and after you met Jesus as your Savior. And it's those whole first couple of chapters just talk about the theology of that, which is important for a disciple to know, right? Because you have to know that you're saved. And you have to know that you're really saved. And you have to know how that works so that you can help others become saved. So that's very important boot camp, discipleship stuff. I just love the way it talks about it. And I love the way it talks about how God does the work in salvation. He's the worker in all of it, right? We're the recipients of it, and he does the work. Uh, Second high point, I think, in boot camp is that, is that uh, Paul makes a pastoral commitment to the Ephesian believers. He says, I'm going to be your drill instructor. It's what he says. He talks about who he is, how he got there, and he kind of humbly giving his credentials to these people, saying, I got you. I may not always be able to be with you. I may be moving around a lot, he said, but I'll always, I'll always serve you I'll always pastor you. I'll always pray for you. I'll always be that guy. And so he makes that, that commitment. The third high point in Ephesians is um, uh, a spirit. Paul offers himself as a spirit-filled example as a prayer and a worshiper. We're going to talk about that at length in a couple of minutes. I don't want to say any more because i got a really fun word I want to share with you today. It's the fourth high point. And it's really the orthopraxy of the first century faith. The orthopraxy. Say ortho what's he? Orthopraxy. Orthodox. Does that, does that one ring a bell? Means like the right belief. Orthodoxy, the right belief. Orthopraxy is the right conduct. It's the right life. And it talks about, that's why it's a boot camp for discipleship. It talks in, in some detail about how we should live 
now that we're claiming Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. It says, for example, we need to live in love and unity. We're never all going to disagree, or we're never all going to agree. We are going to disagree. But in spite of all of that, we are called to love one another and live in unity in the midst of it. He says we're called to bear the gospel to the world, to be bearers, to be children of the light. How is the dark world ever going to find out about Christ unless we reflect him into the world, right? And it says bear the message of the gospel. Know, know what that is. It says, he said, we need to invite the Holy Spirit to work in us to make us mature. That that's part of being a disciple is an ongoing invitation of the Holy Spirit into our lives to make us mature. Because we're not done yet. Other than Tom Anderson, no one in this room is perfect, right? And listen, listen, even Tom would say, keep trying. You'll get to be like him someday. Listen. I don't know why I'm picking on you, Tom. I love you so much. Listen. That, that's an ongoing act of discipleship, isn't it? Just to keep inviting the Holy Spirit to cause you to be mature because we're not done. We're not done. You know, when I look around this room, oh my gosh, and I, I think of what some of you were and now I see what you are by the Holy Spirit in you. What a wonderful, amazing, remarkable thing God can do in a surrendered life over time. We just keep inviting the Holy Spirit to come and make us mature, right? That's what he said as part of discipleship. Another thing Paul says very openly, and I'm just paraphrasing, is stop being so stupid and selfish, right? He just, remember, he's talking to Gentiles, so they don't know anything about, like, the law and all that stuff. They didn't have that going for them. And so he talks about some really ridiculously basic things. Stop talking about each other like that. Let no unwholesome communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for the edification of others, that it may minister grace unto its hearers. Amen? And, I mean, why should he have to say that? Why should he have to say that? Shouldn't Christians know that? They didn't know anything. He says to them, he says, stop stealing. He says, get jobs. He literally says that in the book of Ephesians. It's like, don't, didn't they know that that wouldn't be part of following that stealing? And this is, he says, stop, stop being so stupid. Stop being so selfish. And he's talking about stuff that is so obvious to you, right? But it wasn't obvious to them. They didn't, they didn't fetch up in it. They didn't get it. I, I can totally relate. I mean, when I became a Christian, late teenager, young adult started turning my head toward it. I didn't know any of the rules. I didn't know. And so how could you not know? I don't know. I just didn't know. I've told you this before, but I remember the day that I looked around that little country church in Michigan. I was sitting with Karen, and I thought, I think I'm the only one who smokes pot in this church. <laughs> and you say, how could you not know that Christians don't smoke pot? I'd never been around Christians. I didn't know. How could you not know? I didn't know. I didn't know. 
I didn't know I needed books like Ephesians and James to come at me and say, man, get with it. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Come on, man. Faith without works is dead. Step up, man. I needed, I needed these really raw, cutting kinds of scriptures to come in and make room for the Holy Spirit. You know, I know we laugh about that little pot story, and it's true, but, but it's not funny. It's not funny that the church is so dark or quiet or something that I didn't know. Paul says you gotta know, you gotta stop doing the things that are hurting you. You gotta, the stupid, selfish stuff. It's not about, you know, making Jesus frown. It's about being a Christian. Stepping up, man. He said it's all about relationships. He talks about marriage, he talks about parenting, he talks about slavery, and no way is condoning slavery. He's just simply acknowledging that it exists, and so he's saying, you masters, you better be really good to your slaves. But he says, walking the walk is about relationships, not about religion. And he says in this great passage in chapter 6, put on the armor and fight hard, right? Put on the armor, he says. Put on the armor, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, hello? Shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, are you in or out? Shield of faith, helmet of salvation, hello? Sword of the Spirit. So just bear it and fight hard. Because we're at war. Have you noticed this? People going down. We're at war. But he wants to equip us. So he says, put on the armor and fight hard. And he says, and get on your knees and pray hard. Pray hard. This is the... The overview of the hot spot, which is what I like to do, is just look at, you know, what's the thing I really want to focus on for a few minutes, and that's Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14 through 21. And this, this passage just really comes to me as the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul, ultimately the heartbeat of the believer. Look at this heartbeat. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, I kneel. I kneel. Did you catch that? I kneel. That's a very deliberate act of prayer, isn't it? For this reason, I kneel before the Father. I mean, I'm all about praying while you're driving and doing the dishes and changing the oil and stuff. I'm all about praying on the fly. But you know when you're kneeling, about the only thing you can do is pray, right? For this reason, I kneel before the Father from his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Can you feel the beat of his heart? Can you just, the systole, diastole, can you just feel that beat? 
starts with prayer, doesn't it? The first thump is authentic prayer. I kneel, I kneel before God, and here's what I ask for. I ask that he'll strengthen you, and I, ask, and I ask that you will know the fullness of his love. What a prayer. That's the first part of his heartbeat, is his prayers, authentic, kneeling down, calling on God prayer. And the second part of his heartbeat is joyful worship. You see what happens in verse 20 when he gets done praying? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. He's just going, worship on you, isn't he? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Man, that is so, such a powerful expression of worship that whatever you can imagine... Whatever you can imagine God can do, he can do immeasurably more. You can't even measure the difference. This is a worship of God. This is called a doxology in the Bible. Doxology, which means, you know, a, 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 a quotation of praise, basically. Doxology. Doxos is praise. Doxology. And he says, I just worship God. I swear, man, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, that's a doxology. How many of you remember the doxology from old church you used to go to, right? Some of you do, right? Remember it always happened when? Offering, right. No, Gloria Patrick came at the end. Uh, uh, doxology came, <laughs> doxology came at the offering, remember? And all the guys came up and they got the little pans and they handed them out, you know? Sliding them up and down, people throw their stuff in, and they get to the back, and, and uh, our organist, she had a little mirror on her so she could see when the guys got all the way back there, because you got to point that way. I don't know why. And uh, when she saw they got back there and they're standing there, she went, Dun! right? You know what I'm talking about? And as soon as you heard that chord, what did everybody do? They stood up, right? And they knew to do that. I hated that stuff when I first started going to church. Don't. How'd everybody know? And then they start singing a song without a book. That's just not fair. That's not nice. I don't know. Remember? I'm that guy, right? I, I don't know. It's not nice. It's just not nice. But it's beautiful, and we'll do it to some of you right now. Praise God from whom all I got a little Jesus juice going on up here listening to you guys do that. I mean, that was sweet. When you don't have to do it, it's sweet, isn't it, right? That's a doxology. It's an expression of praise, worship, release of worship, release of your heart of worship. And that's what Paul's doing here. And this is the heart of the Apostle Paul. 
Prayer and worship. His heart beats prayer and worship. It never beats anything else. It beats prayer and worship. Circumstances around Paul seemed to change a lot, didn't they? But his heart never did. Boom, 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 boom. Prayer and worship. Some days for Paul were filled with great victories, leading many people to Christ, raising Eutychus from the dead. That's a big day, right? Other days Paul was being abandoned by the people who were working with him. You know, the, the list of people who used to work with Paul was long, right? But his heart never changed. Heart never changed. Just prayer and worship. You could always count on that, no matter what was going on at any given time. And I think the reason is, is because what we see in Paul is the beat of a heart that he received on the road to Damascus. That on the road to Damascus, when the Lord changed him, he got a new heart. Ezekiel says that he took out his heart of stone, gave him a heart of flesh. Right? And that heart that Paul got from the Lord that day was a heart that only knew how to do two things. Pray and worship. No matter what was going on around him, pray and worship. And it was from that heart that Paul became Paul. Now I don't think there's probably a day in my life that I would ever say I lived on the same level as Paul. But I will say this, I can freely relate to this. That 40 years ago, God changed my heart. He changed my heart. And he took out a heart of stone, selfish man, foul mouth pot smoking teenager. He took out that heart and he gave me a heart of flesh that beats for two things. Prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. Some days that praying and worshiping like that is God has used to lead this church to great heights and around here and around the world. Other days, people I cherished decided that they needed to be somewhere else. In the midst of it all, the heart still beats. Prayer, worship. Prayer, worship. I pray for you. I pray as Paul prays for you. I pray that he'll strengthen you. I pray that you'll know the love of God. I pray this. And I worship with you. And if you want to discover the true purpose of your life this year, you'll start with your heartbeat. Is this the beat of your heart? When everything's changing around you, does your heart still beat the same? Prayer, worship. Prayer and worship. Book of Philippians, Paul says the most audacious thing. It always puzzled me. He said, it seems a little conceited, don't tell him I said that, but he said, he said, whatever you've seen in me, do. That's what Paul says to the Philippians. And I'd just like to say, most of what you see in me, don't do. I'm probably the best example of an unfinished Christian you know. But this one thing, I encourage you, I exhort you to do.
Let your heart beat. Prayer, worship. Prayer, worship. In that you'll discover who you are, and from discovering who you are, you'll find out what you're for. Prayer, worship. I hope that heartbeat leads you to one of our prayer meetings, which incidentally we're resuming this Tuesday night at 7 instead of 6.30. I hope that makes it possible for more of you to come. That's all we do in our Tuesday night and Thursday morning prayer meetings. We pray and we worship. We pray and we worship. There's no sermon. Just pray, worship. Pray, worship. And men, I have just one big word for you brothers. Would you like to radically increase your masculinity level in 2018? If you want to be more of a man in your family, in your world, if you want to be more of a man than you ever thought possible, i got two words for you. Prayer and worship. Let's pray. Lord, we invite you into this time now as we consider these words of the gospel or the book of Ephesians on us. We, we consider these words of great importance because you said them, you inspired them, you caused them to come to have some kind of a radical impact on us as believers living in this time and this place. I thank you for every person here, Lord. I thank you. I thank you for what drew them. I thank you for them being here in whatever state their life is in. I just thank you that they're here. And I pray, Lord, that as we just take just a few moments to center down on you and consider the rabbi's heartbeat, Lord, that you would just come and you would cause that same heart to beat in us.